What's up, everybody? We are back. It's another episode of NFL Friday on this November 5th. We say goodbye to week eight of the NFL season and move on to week nine. The Steelers take care of the Ravens to stay perfect. The Giants lose a heartbreaker to the heavily favored Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bills take control of the AFC East with a win over the Patriots and a quiet NFL trade deadline comes and goes. We will talk about some of the names that got moved, some that did not. Nick DeLuca, Kelly Bright here with you. Kelly, always a pleasure to be back here on NFL Friday talking some football with you. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. I mean, week eight come, you know, came and gone, but uh, week nine, looking forward to it as a as a New York, you know, a New York radio station, and I'm a Patriots fan, it's been kind of a tough season football-wise, but there's been a lot of good game, good games, a lot of stars starting to come out, people you didn't expect to be good. Um, you know, we had Tua starting this week, you know, Antonio Brown coming back, a bunch of big names coming out. So excited to see. I mean, we're at the halfway point of the season, so excited for the second half. Yeah, you mentioned a crazy week nine as well. We'll get to a number of those matchups in our pick at the end of this NFL Friday. Saints and Bucks in a huge matchup there. Antonio Brown, as you said, making his debut for Tampa Bay. The Bills and the Seahawks. And a very intriguing Monday night football matchup between the New England Patriots and the winless New York Jets. Can the Jets finally find their first win well you're gonna have to stay tuned to find out they're a seven point underdog but hey you never know Adam Gase can really get after it and the Jets might just pull out their first win of the season could they avoid going 0-16 they'll get their first real shot of it shot at it this season you would think against the Patriots so we'll get through all of that stuff all right fine they should have been they had a chance against Denver too and they didn't so we'll see we'll see if the Jets can get their first win but I want to start as we recap week eight with what was the best matchup in my opinion in all of the NFL you're talking about the Steelers undefeated and they eventually get the win 28-24 over Baltimore 7-0 Baltimore drops to 5-2 and but This was a marquee matchup. This was a big matchup to determine the fates of these two teams as you look at the playoff picture and the division race in the AFC North. And Pittsburgh, who I think a lot of people might have even been skeptical about playing a a really real test against Baltimore, really came through and then some because not only was that offense explosive, but their defense did a great job of flustering and containing Lamar Jackson. Yeah, definitely. The Steelers' defense stood out to me. I mean, they took a quarterback and a reigning MVP in Lamar Jackson, and they played him as good of as seen I've as well as I've seen any team play them this year. I mean, they played in layered and deeper zones. You know, they knew they have the pass rush that's going to pressure Lamar, so they used their zone coverage, forced him to figure out route combinations. And Lamar just hasn't been as good this year with those kind of vertical layered concepts as opposed to just something like a man-to-man seam run. So, you know, you even had the linebackers pick, you know, he gets picked off third play of the game and you knew um, from that point on that he was going to struggle. And he's been struggling this year compared to last year. He's only got a 60.5% completion percentage. And, you know, he's, He doesn't look exactly the same as last year. His spiral hasn't been as clean. You know, his deep accuracy is a little spotty. So, I mean, it's one thing to be good against a bad team, but anytime you're playing against a good defense, you got to step up, and Lamar Jackson didn't do that. 
What Pittsburgh does and what makes them, I think, particularly effective is what you hit on, Kelly, and that was the pass rush because it allows them, in conjunction with being a team that can stop the run with their front four and their linebackers, it makes it challenging because they don't have to blitz. They don't have to commit six and seven and eight guys to a pass rush and to the box in order to stop the run and in order to defend the pass. And this was also going to come back a little bit to the Baltimore Ravens. And it's not all on Lamar Jackson, although throwing the football, it has been a struggle at times this year. You're talking about a 12 and a half QBR this past Sunday. He goes 13 to 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and also loses a pair of fumbles. But there's not a lot in their receiving core either, which makes it difficult, I think, for him to navigate. And there was some talk on social media with Hollywood Brown about getting him more involved and getting him the football. And and that's great. And I'm not here to say that Marquise Brown isn't a quality or good NFL wide receiver, but this is a guy who is not a number one. And let's, let's not pretend like he is. He is a deep threat. He is a great, I want, I'll say number two wide receiver in that offense to take the top off of it. But when you are looking at Lamar Jackson in this Ravens offense, they don't have a consistent number one. So back to Pittsburgh, who doesn't have to respect that receiving core of the Ravens, and it's a challenge for Lamar Jackson, they are able to just throw any number of looks at him. And when you are able to defend the one thing that the Ravens' best receiver does, Marquise Brown, by playing that zone, by sitting back and and covering those deep threats up, there's not a lot for the Ravens to do. When you're talking about Willie Sneed, who's their leading receiver, five catches, 106, and seven targets, he's he's just not a threat in the same way that some of these other teams have receivers. And you're allowing Pittsburgh to really get after you in a number of ways and attack you uh, in dif- in different ways on defense. And I think that that was apparent because you can get away with this you can get away with not having these threats against uh, some of the lesser teams in the NFL but it's always the talk of the town and always the talk about Lamar Jackson not getting things done in the postseason the first two years of his career and I think that's consistent with what we've seen just in terms of how better teams how teams with good defenses are able to attack Baltimore and that was on full display we haven't even gotten to Pittsburgh's offense who has given them another dynamic of of making them competitive it's not Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges on offense anymore but just that Pittsburgh defense so impressive I know they give up 24 points and Baltimore was able to run the ball effectively and you know that that's what they want to do 47 rushes for 265 but with Pittsburgh's offense you allow them to churn out the clock they were never able to get that lead And, and once again it's Baltimore coming from behind and ultimately they can't do it. Right, and Baltimore's been in a lot of close games this season, and the more pressure in a close game situation that you're putting Lamar in, the more he struggles. And you have to remember, he hasn't been in this league a long time, and it's hard to remember that because he did play so phenomenally last year, but he's still young, and the difference between a good defense and an elite defense or a great defense like the Steelers or even Tampa Bay, the teams that he struggled against – Half a second when you're trying to get rid of the ball is a huge difference in the, in the NFL. So that half a second difference is making him make these these kind of 
controversial decisions. You know, his accuracy is not as great. And when you're playing a team like Steelers, who doesn't make a lot, who they don't make a lot of mistakes on the offensive or the defensive side of the ball. You can't, those little mistakes are going to add up, especially in these close games. And the other thing I will throw out there, and it won't show up in the box score because Baltimore is going to run the football. That's their identity. And Lamar Jackson is sacked four times in this game, and his escapability is also going to diminish the number of sacks that he's going to take. He's just not going to. No matter what your offensive line looks like, he's not going to take as many sacks just because he's got that escapability factor. But that Ravens offensive line is not as strong as it was last year, and that's, I think, another thing that people may have missed in this whole Lamar Jackson situation. And it's only going to get worse with Ronnie Stanley now going to be out for the season with his ankle injury, but they lose Marshall Yonda at guard guys going to be a first ballot hall of famer was so good for them for any number of years and just figuring out the shuffle and understanding where everything is going to fit on the offensive line. That's been another uh, task in and of itself for Baltimore trying to figure out that offense. I want to switch speaking of offenses to Pittsburgh's because it is, as I said, not Mason Rudolph and not Duck Hodges Manning, and, and they have so many weapons, and it's so clear that they have just such a great roster in Pittsburgh with James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster, Eric Ebron, Chase Claypool, and any Deontay Johnson, all those weapons, James Washington as well, just up and down the list of weapons that they can go to to succeed offensively. And it's not that Big Ben is playing at this all-pro level 21 to 32, 182, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He's not lighting the world on fire, but he is a competent quarterback that is operating that offense. He is taking care of the football. And with all those weapons that Pittsburgh has, they are tough to solve on offense. Yeah, and they're and like you said, it it's such a big difference having Big Ben back there in the in the pocket for them. And they're playing at a much faster tempo this year. And the receivers are keeping up with that. I mean, like you said, the receiving core and the tight end, the player personnel they have is ridiculous. And the fact that they have all these options and they're also, I think most of the second half in their game against the Ravens was no huddle and they just kept putting the pressure on the defense. Um, it's it's really hard to stop and it's really hard for, for, the defensive, for the defense to come up with a scheme to stop them right now. Yeah, they've done an excellent job. I think their offensive line as well is one of the more underrated units in the NFL, and they were able to establish things and protect Big Ben pretty well, although weren't able to get the ground game going in that one, but the protection was good, and they they did a good job of attacking a pretty good Baltimore defense. Let's, let's make no mo- bones about it. They've got some pretty key players on that Baltimore defense, and they were able to – hold things in check enough and able to fluster Lamar Jackson enough on defense to come out with a victory and a big one to get to 7-0. and So the final thing that I want to get to on the Steelers is just how we feel about them in the context of the rest of the AFC. They are the lone undefeated team remaining in the National Football League. Do you think they are the best team in the AFC right now? Yes. Uh, no, because I think the Chiefs, I have to go with the Chiefs. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are so good. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the best player in the NFL. Uh, I think all around, they're a more dominating team. They have a better, I think they have a better defense and a better solid offense, as long as they can stay uh, healthy than the Steelers. I do think the Steelers are close second. Um didn't expect that coming into the year, but the rest of the AFC teams, I think they're good, but there's no one that's that's just consistent week in and week out. Like the Bills and the Titans, they have good teams, you know, good quarterbacks, good defenses, even some somewhat. I mean, the Titans have a good running game, but 
they're not dominating teams. They're not consistent like the Steelers and the Chiefs are. But at the same time, the Steelers haven't been blowing teams out except for, I believe, the Browns in uh, week three or week four. But the Chiefs have been blowing teams out, and I think that's going to continue on once they get to the playoffs. I would say that Pittsburgh has the best roster in the AFC, but man, oh man, does Patrick Mahomes make a difference. And I'm going to agree with you that the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC still. I know it was an ugly loss. Yes, teams do lose games. They lost to the Raiders. I get it. But we can't be so shallow as to just look at the record because the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. The difference that Patrick Mahomes makes, because I think that if you're talking about the weapons, you probably want Pittsburgh's weapons. You certainly want Pittsburgh's defense. But the Pittsburgh offense is just not as explosive. And this is not necessarily a knock on Ben Roethlisberger at being his old age of, what is he, 38, 39 now. But they, they don't have that dynamic. They don't have, we're never out of a game because we can just light this thing up and score like nobody's seen. So the Chiefs, to me, are still the favorite in the AFC. They are still the AFC's best team. And it's really because of Patrick Mahomes. It's that simple. He is just that good, and there's, there's not much else that goes into that. I think that Pittsburgh does, as, again, as I've said, has the better roster, but Pat Mahomes makes all the difference, and I still like the Chiefs to come out of the AFC as we get toward playoff time here in the NFL. So Pittsburgh, a 28-24 win over Baltimore to remain perfect. A two-game lead for them in the AFC North. Let's move to the NFC, and we'll talk some local football now for at least a moment. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers survive a scare. Tom Brady and crew fall down early to the Giants, who were heavy underdogs in this game, but they came out. They looked like they were prepared. Joe Judge has the Giants ready to play, but ultimately it's Brady and the Bucs that are able to prevail Daniel Jones able to lead a furious comeback drive to get it within two. But the Giants, with less than a minute remaining, are trying that last gasp two-point conversion to try it and to tie it. And Daniel Jones not able to convert on a throw that was late. So I was impressed by the way that the Giants came out and started. But they're just not there yet. And it seems a familiar theme that the giants are just finding ways to lose right now. And perhaps the more concerning thing is about Daniel Jones. There was certainly some positive, but also some negative. He finishes 25 of 41, 256, two touchdowns and two interceptions, but some costly turnovers at times. And that two point conversion attempt just blew my mind. Yeah, let's let's break down that last play a little bit because I feel like that play is almost a microcosm for some of the issues that the Giants are facing this season. You know, last drive of the game, you know, Danny Dimes, he come, he finds a way, breaks through two fourth down conversions, finds Tate at the back of the end zone, 20 seconds left. Beautiful, oh, beautiful. Probably one of the best connections we've seen, one of the best drives we've seen out of them this season. All you have to do is convert this two-point conversion. You know, Giants come out, trips formation. Deion Lewis sprints across the flat. He's wide open. I mean, I think I saw something on Twitter that said he was 6.7 yards away from his defender. So he was open. But then Jones double clutches. You know, he he you know he gets anxious, kind of hesitates. And then that gives Winfield Jr. a chance to break up the pass. So there you had that. You almost had this insane, you know, not a insane upset win over the Buccaneers, who I think um, potentially could be Super Bowl contenders. And it falls apart at the last second because 
um, Daniel Jones makes a key mistake. And I think, like you started to say, I think Daniel Jones is almost on the hot seat right now. I mean, you could debate me on that, but the turnovers are the turnovers are killing him. I mean, 36 career turnovers, 15 of 23 fumbles lost, 21 interceptions, you know, four and 16 career record. He just surpassed Jameis Winston for the most turnovers over the last two seasons. The Bucs got rid of Winston, you know, and they upgraded with Tom Brady, obviously. Is it time for the Giants to make the same move? It's going to be close, and I don't know how they're going to react this offseason again because you're talking about an organization that is likely to move on from Dave Gettleman at the general manager position, so you may have a new person there. Joe Judge certainly did not draft Daniel Jones, and you'll see how they feel, and it might just – ultimately depend on where they fall in the draft because you're talking about Trevor Lawrence at the top there. And I don't know that they'd be in play to grab Trevor Lawrence. Although, Hey, you never know. They'll win more than one game because their, their schedule was so easy and the jets, they might max out. I mean, it's, it's a realistic possibility. The jets go Owen 16, but even if they play really well towards the rest of this season, they, they can't get more than three wins, the Jets. There, there's no way. So the, the Giants, I still think, will be on the outside looking in on that Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And then you're talking about how do you feel about Justin Fields or the rest of the quarterback class there, and do you feel like that's an upgrade over Daniel Jones? But it, to me, it's the decision-making that is the most concerning part of what has been going on with him the last few weeks. And – I thought you did a good job of breaking down that two-point conversion, and I want to go back to that for a second. And what's so frustrating about that is that's just – that's read one. That is your first read, and that is exactly the way that that play is designed. Jason Garrett is calling that play knowing that the Bucks are going to bring pressure and it's, co- it's going to be man coverage. So he motions Deion Lewis across – Now Antoine Winfield Jr. has to fight through all of the traffic to get over to that far side flat. And he's not going to be able to do it because he's got to run through all of his linebackers at the snap of the football. It's great. Now you've got those trips wide receivers on that side. Everything's in-breaking. It's a slant. It's really a pick is what it is to not allow Winfield to even get over there. And all you have to do, you you heard Brian Greasy say this on the broadcast, that's a throw that needs to happen quicker and has to be on the pylon. How he took so long to throw that ball is unbelievable because Lewis was so wide open, and if it's read one, you throw him the darn football. It's just not that hard. And the throw was was so mind-bogglingly late, it's incredible. But it was also inaccurate because even as long as he took to throw the football – if he threw in the right place, it still goes for two. He, he, he gave Winfield Jr. a chance to catch up, but if he would have just thrown it towards the pylon, towards the sideline, and not back toward the middle of the field on the, on the placement of Lewis's body, you still have the two. So it's just a combination of a, a really bad throw, but just really bad decision-making, and you're hoping you're not having that issue with your quarterback in year two. And especially with Daniel Jones, because you feel like he's a guy, even out of college, who should come in and be ready to play. The processing has never been something that has really been an issue, you wouldn't think, with Daniel Jones, with some of the guys that he's worked with and David Cutcliffe going back to even college. And you felt like he was 
reading defense is at a pretty high level, at least in year one. But I, I've been saying this on various WFUV programs and airwaves throughout the last week or so. Daniel Jones reminds me of Baker Mayfield right now. You're talking about a really good year one and a lot of optimism. You bring in a new coach, and yes, the Giants and the Browns approach these situations differently. The Browns wanted to go with the guy they felt helped develop Mayfield as their head coach. Clearly, that didn't work out. And the Giants go in a different direction with a guy who, in Joe Judge, they feel like is just going to point their organization in the right direction and then go with Jason Garrett afterward. And they're moving on from Pat Shermer, where there's not a ton that you love about Shermer as a head coach, but he's done and has a pretty extensive track record with helping out young quarterbacks and developing quarterbacks. So you are losing that, but it's just really not a good sign because the guys that you see succeed in the NFL are guys that continue to develop year to year. We just got done talking about Lamar Jackson and it's not always going to be perfect. The progression isn't always linear and guys have bad games, but at the same time, Lamar Jackson from year one, where in the first half of his playoff game, he completes two passes to the NFL MVP in year two. That's a significant jump. Guy I watch all the time, Josh Allen. He has gotten markedly better from year one to year two to now year three. So it's just concerning when you see a guy take a step back. And I know that you might not be in love with Jason Garrett and the way that things are going there. But they got to figure something out with Daniel Jones because the starting job and his position in the organization with the coach that didn't draft him and likely a GM that didn't draft him coming in, the Giants are going to have to have some serious conversations about whether or not Daniel Jones is their quarterback going forward. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, one thing I'd say that one thing I would maybe uh, maybe push back on is him being elite out of college because I remember when he, the Giants drafted him. Everyone was like, who the I mean, who the who the heck is this guy? Like, who's Daniel Jones? He wasn't rated in the top 50, but I wouldn't say he was a lead out of college. I think his decision making was good in terms of understanding what an NFL offense was, where he came from. That's all I'm saying. It's there's nothing else there. That's so fair. to clarify. No, that's fair. But I, I at this point, I, I think the Giants need to do something uh in the draft if they're not gonna do something now. I mean Yes, you're probably not going to get Trevor Lawrence because you're right. I think the Giants are going to win two, maybe even three more games considering who's on their schedule. Maybe you get Justin Fields, who I think would be a first-round draft pick if Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this draft. So it wouldn't be a bad loss. And if not, even North Dakota State's Trey Lance, BYU, Zach Wilson. I mean, do you consider bringing these guys on and potentially making them your starting quarterback next year? I mean, I do think – if you're not going to make a move now because they didn't, they didn't make any moves um, besides signing a who Pettis um, before the deadline. But um, I do think you let him play out the rest of the year. You see if he can develop, like you said, it, you do want these players to develop, especially when it is only his second year in the league and he's with a first year coach. So you do let him play out the rest of the season. But I think if he doesn't improve, you really gotta, you really gotta look at yourself in the mirror and think, is he going to be our franchise quarterback? Because at the same time, the giants have, slowly been improving the past few weeks. I mean, the defense is, I actually think, overperforming for who they have personnel-wise. The offensive line, still not great, but it's improving, you know. Um, I think they've surpassed 100 yards rushing in four of the last five games, which is something they struggled with early on. So parts of their team's game is getting better, but their their quarterback situation, which 
in today's league, it's a quarterback league. As cliche as that is, it's a quarterback league. And if you don't have a top, you know, top 10, top 15 quarterback, your team's going to struggle. And when he's making these costly mistakes game in and game out, it's their team isn't going to think there's a wall and they're not going to get over it. So I, I think you're right. I do need to think they need to have some serious conversations about their quarterback position moving forward. I'm glad you brought up the offensive line because I was really impressed with how they played against Tampa Bay. And this is a unit that has caught a lot of flack for not being very good in weeks past here in 2020, but they really stepped up and came ready to play because the rushing attack for the giants and the protection, they were ready to play and they punched Tampa Bay in the mouth. And, at the end of the day, it's really the turnovers that are costly and get Tampa back into that game and ultimately give them the shot to win. And that's probably the most frustrating part from a Giants perspective because they played well enough to win. And even you can cry all you want about the two-point conversion play as I just did for the last few minutes or say that was a great throw on the touchdown, but the Giants really shouldn't be in that position to have to deal with any of those situations because – Daniel Jones just needs to take care of the football and throw it away. He's got some questionable decision-making to figure out. The Giants have some questions as well. Do they feel like Trey Lance or Wilson, or even if they're in a position, Justin Fields are upgrades over Daniel Jones? I think the consensus is that Trevor Lawrence would be. Those other three, you have to make that evaluation because very often it's not about the guy that you are replacing, but rather who you are replacing him with. And that's, I think, where the Giants need to stay with their focus as of right now, as it looks like there'll be some more organizational changes with Big Blue. But for right now, one and seven, pretty frustrating loss because they were in it, encouraged that they were able to, to stick with Tampa Bay as a team that's a favorite in the NFC, but ultimately not able to finish the job. And the Giants have been really giving their fans some heartbreakers as of recently, and that's been difficult. So as we wrap up week nine, a matchup that was near and dear to both of our hearts, the Bills taking on the Patriots, a 24-21 victory for the Bills in Orchard Park to move to 6-2. and two. The Bills focusing on the ground game in this one. And they were able to attack some of the personnel that the Patriots were putting on the field with nickel packages, six and seven defensive backs, heavy rushing, 190 yards on the ground and three touchdowns for Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and Josh Allen carried it 10 times as well. The Patriots rushing attack was also pretty good, carrying it for 188 yards. Damian Harris was also effective on the ground with Cam Newton as well, but I think the biggest takeaway from an NFL perspective, well, there are two. One, that the Bills are in the driver's seat in the AFC East, and the Patriots have kind of been buried this year and are really not playing good football right now. But also, what the heck is going on with Cam Newton? Because he looks, he he just looks like a different guy after coming off of the COVID, and he's just not throwing the football well right now. And I don't know if it's those injuries and that injury history that he's had coming to roost, but that Patriots offense looks terrible right now. Yeah. I almost have to take a deep breath before I get into this one. Cause I get a little too heated, but now Cam Newton, since going on the COVID list after week three, he just hasn't looked the same at all. I mean, he's this, they were in the game with the bills until the literally the last minute of the game, the last two minutes of the game. And that's saying something considering, like you said, how in control the Bills have been this season and how out of control the Patriots have been. And you have Newton fumble the ball at the 14-yard line with 31 seconds left. So 
uh, it was hard to watch. And he, and even just not even just carrying the ball, but throwing has been a disaster. I mean, he's missing reads. His footwork has been sloppy. He's doing this weird thing sometimes where his front foot kind of comes out when he throws and he misses his receivers by yards and yards and yards. So uh, physically, he hasn't looked great. I will say off the field as a leader, which is something a lot of Patriots fans were worried about going into the season. He's, he's been holding himself accountable. You know, he admits to the media that, yeah, he's not as good as he should be. He's making mistakes and it's on him and he's standing up for his teammates. Cause if you look at what the Patriots have on the lining up on offense with him, it's, it's unrecognizable. I mean, now you've got Edelman out, Nikhil Harry out, the guys lining up are names you've never heard before. Most of them are coming off, you know, they're coming off the practice roster. So he doesn't have a lot of weapons. He has like zero tight ends, barely wide receivers. But at the same time, we're talking about a quarterback who used to be an MVP, who came into the season with a bunch of hype, a bunch of expectations, and frankly, he hasn't lived um, hasn't lived up to them. So uh, it's been it's been frustrating as a Patriots fan. I mean, it, it's something I'm not used to. We're two and a half games behind the Browns for a playoff spot, and you know it's. Belichick had a uh, press conference earlier this week, which is very un-Belichick-like, and he kind of came out and was talking about, you know, cap constraints, opt-outs, COVID injuries, all these reasons that the Patriots have been struggling. And while, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, um, these are all valid excuses, but at the same time, it's, you can't, all the teams are dealing with that. You know, all teams have people who opted out, people are injured, you know, cap restraints, yeah, we, we have, there's been a dynasty there for how long and you're going to have to eventually pay the price, but um, there ha- they haven't really developed any receivers. They haven't really gone out and tried to find anyone new. Um, and the tactics that Belichick used to take that, you know, people were like, Oh, what is he doing? And then it ends up being genius. Those, those sly moves, those moves that people would normally consider genius are they're looking like mistakes. So I think a little bit, this goes on Belichick as well. And the excuses are not something that we're used to, hearing from Bill Belichick and in particular hearing from him at all, but to recognize that he's been as outspoken as he has been about this whole situation is kind of odd, but at the end of the day, they are where they are. And Jacoby Myers was their leading receiver last week with six receptions for 58 yards and at 10 targets. So he's Jacoby Myers. So there's not a ton of quarterbacks that are going to walk into that situation and be successful. At the same time, I agree with everything that you said about Cam Newton and his mechanics. And I don't know whether it's a foot issue, whether it's a shoulder issue. And I was very concerned about his shoulder. And I know it was a foot issue for him and foot injury last year that kept him out the end of the season. But it just feels like he's not throwing the ball. He's not throwing the ball like Cam Newton. So I'm not in love with the way he's he's just the ball's coming out of his hand. And some of those lawn darts that he throw, just spiking the ball. Where the heck is that ball going? And some of the throws. I remember one time I I have a couple roommates who are Patriots fans too. And he made one throw on the near sideline that missed by maybe a good five or six, seven yards. And they just started laughing. They they were just laughing at that point saying, what in the heck was that? That was the one of the worst throws we've ever seen. So he, he has just been so inconsistent and that's something that the Patriots can't afford. And Look, at the end of the day, their roster is set up, and and this is going to tie into how great, I guess, Tom Brady is at the end of the day. But they needed someone to come in and play at an MVP level. And I wasn't sitting there in the offseason saying that Cam Newton couldn't play. I was confident that he could return. I didn't think he'd be as bad as he was. I thought we would see more of what we saw the first few weeks of the season in that game against Seattle. 
But at the same time, he was going to have to come in and play at that MVP caliber 2015 season for this team to be successful because Tom Brady couldn't do it. They had just no weapons. There was nothing there. And now you're talking about a diminished defense. This is just not a good roster right now. And look, it happens. And we talked about this before the show. You're going to trade that to go after three Super Bowls for those runs. And at some point, it's just you're, it's going to catch up with you. You're going to have salary cap situations. You make moves and don't you're playing for right now because you were playing with a 40 year old quarterback and trying to chase Super Bowls. So I don't blame them. You give up a second round pick to get Mohamed Sanu, who's not even on an NFL roster right now. You do make those moves, but now comes the time where you pay for him. It happens, and sometimes you're going to have down years. And Cam Newton, he was going to have to come in and just play out of this world, and he hasn't really come close to that. And that's why you see the Patriots just out of the race right now at 2-5. and And we're talking about, hey, could the Jets potentially pull their first win against New England on Monday Night Football? I don't think it'll happen. I just don't think that even as bad a roster as the Patriots have right now, that Belichick could lose to an Adam Gase coached team. I I just don't think it's possible. But – hey, you never know, and maybe it's part of Belichick's master plan to uh, put himself in the Trevor Lawrence conversation as uh, one game out of the sweepstakes if the Patriots can find a way to lose this weekend. But I uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But a changing of the guard potentially, I don't know. I don't know if the Bills are, are ready for the prime time yet. We'll see. They've got a really difficult stretch of schedule coming up in the next few weeks that I think will tell us a lot more about them and how much of a player they will be as sort of that second tier of the AFC with Tennessee and sort of in that mix, Baltimore as well, maybe not quite to the level of Kansas City or Pittsburgh right now. I want to get to the trade deadline quickly before we head into our week nine pick It was pretty quiet. There wasn't a lot of movement. And I think the reason for that was certainly the uncertainty with COVID and then the salary cap going forward for next year. Teams don't want to take on big contracts with the uncertainty surrounding the salary cap. They also know that if they save open salary cap this year, they can forward that to next year and add on and give themselves some more flexibility. Avery Williamson, linebacker for the Jets, off to Pittsburgh. Kawan Alexander from the 49ers to the Saints and Isaiah Ford, a wide receiver from uh, Miami on to New England, where they desperately need wide receiver help. And then some names that we saw that didn't get moved. Stephon Gilmore was rumored to be in the mix to potentially get moved by the Patriots. He did not. Will Fuller rumored to the Packers, but apparently they could not agree on the compensation. Was there anything about this quiet NFL trade deadline, Kelly, that surprised you? Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it already. I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't expecting much out of this, especially with those salary cap concerns because of COVID and, you know, the uncertainty of next season. But I think what was most surprising for me was Gilmore not being traded and also the Packers not picking up any receiver like Will. I, I thought for sure they'd go after Will Fuller. Um, I mean, they haven't helped Aaron, Jod- Aaron Rodgers in God knows how long. You have one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and you just can't get him some help. I mean, the fact that they went and picked Jordan Love in last year's draft, like they just picked up Aaron Rodgers' successor instead of actually trying to give him some help or a weapon or a piece or something, and they still don't go after I mean, they've never been a team to go and spend money, and they're not a big trading organization. But eventually, you just got to think enough is enough. You got to do something to help your guy. So that that was surprising to me. And then again, Gilmore also not being traded. I mean, as a Pats fan, I'm I'm glad that he's still with us. Uh, you know, reigning defensive player of the year. That's awesome. But uh, 
it was I was a little surprised because he really is the best value the Patriots have to offer. Maybe Joe Tooney's another one, but Gilmore could really help a team out. So I'm surprised a team wasn't willing to pay, you know, pay off this extension and take him. But those are two standouts for me. The Fuller situation is the one that surprised me the most. I mean, the other trades that actually happened are kind of minor and you knew that the Steelers might want some linebacker help. And if the Jets could get anything for any of their veteran players, they're tanking right now. They want to move them off. That's clear. So we, we knew that. But the Fuller deal to me made too much sense on both sides to not get made because the Packers could really add just a fantastic dynamic to that offense with another wide receiver. When you got Will Fuller to take the top off Devontae Adams and a strong running game with Aaron Jones with Aaron Rodgers, this is a team that you're talking about in the Super Bowl conversation. Because, and, and I think you're talking about them in that way right now, but they are really that contender. And that's the thing for me, a, a move you make, because you've got Aaron Rodgers and – Again, you're talking about the window. Maybe they're really confident in Jordan Love. I, you know, who knows? But to me, you're, you're striking while the iron is hot when you have Aaron Rodgers playing at the level that he's playing at right now. And, and they've got a defense that is playing well enough for them to stay in games and, and really playing off of that offense. they got a good team in Green Bay. So that opportunity on offense to me was just something – that was too good to pass up. But then you flip over to the Texans side of it and Houston's awful right now. And it looks like they are with a fired head coach and the same guy who's their general manager. They're going to be looking for both in the off season and going to be figuring out what their organizational structure is going to look like. Their cupboard is bare in draft capital. I mean, they have absolutely nothing. They trade away their first-round picks to Miami in the Laramie Tunsil trade, second-round picks for in the DeAndre Hopkins is what they got back, and, and they just don't have a ton of draft picks right now, and you figure they're going to want to rebuild. So the, the point that I'm making here is that Houston, they'll take any draft pick that's available to them. Like If you give them a, a third-round pick for Will Fuller, maybe a second-round pick at max, they're going to take it. The, the asking price was not a first-round pick from the Green Bay Packers. So anything short of a first-round pick, how are you not making that trade for Will Fuller from a Green Bay perspective? If Houston wants a second-round pick or a third-round pick for Will Fuller, that's what DeAndre Hopkins went for, how are you not making that trade? That was the thing that was the head-scratcher for me. Just on both sides, you know that Houston wants draft picks, and you know that Green Bay has them and isn't going to need to give up a ton. You're talking a second or a third-round pick. I'm making that trade to push the chips to the middle of the table if I'm Green Bay. I I completely agree. One other uh, trade deal that I actually remember now, Desmond King to the Titans, I love that for them. So the Titans, yeah, they've lost two in a row. They're five and two now. I think they're legit AFC contenders. I, I actually love Tannehill. I think he's I think he's improved a lot. And your their biggest problem was their defense, especially their secondary. They're the worst third down team in in the league, um, as far as defense goes. And they add veteran quarterback Desmond King. He's taken from the Chargers. He was a Pro Bowler in 2018, and Pro Football Focus ranks him as one of the highest cornerbacks every year that he's been in the league. So I think he's going to be a huge addition to their defense. And, and I'm really excited to see what they do in the AFC, especially like we talked about earlier in their show. I mean, the AFC is very competitive. So I think that's going to be a big, a big addition to their team. 
Yeah, Tennessee looking for a second corner across from Malcolm Butler in a secondary that lost Logan Ryan at the end of this offseason, trying to replace cornerback two. And Desmond King will certainly go a long way towards filling that void. Also making a couple other moves, Vic Beasley was released, and they're not getting exactly what they would have liked from some of their pass rushers. Javian Clowney hasn't been as productive as Tennessee might have hoped as well. They're trying to figure out their defense to get into that top tier of the AFC uh, in general. So we'll move on from the trade deadline from week eight as we move into week nine and our pick'em segment as Kelly and I detail. You don't even have to watch the games on Sunday. We're just going to tell you who's going to win, and, and we'll, we'll kick it off here with the Packers and the 49ers Thursday night football. The Packers have everyone and his brother on the COVID-19 reserve list or injured. Nick Mullins is going to get the start tonight in place of Jimmy Garoppolo, who's out for the season, or so it appears with an ankle injury. George Kittle will not play. Brandon Ayuk on the COVID list, Trent Williams, and probably everybody else who plays for the San Francisco 49ers. The game is going to be played in Santa Clara at Levi's Stadium. The Packers, you would have to think, have some advantage here with just all of the issues going on with with San Francisco. Green Bay, a seven-point favorite. Kelly, who do you have in this one? Yeah, I, I like you just said, that that intro does all the explanation. For, you know, the 49ers are injured. They're struggling. They're going downhill. I don't see them turning the season around, especially, like you said, I, Nick Mullins, he, he has a tendency to turn the ball over a lot, and, and they don't have much going for them, so I have to go for the Packers here. I'm going to agree with you. I don't know how you pick against Aaron Rodgers in the way that Green Bay is playing right now, although it wasn't pretty against Minnesota last week. They're going to come in focused, and on a short week, I think they'll be able to get it done. I know they have to travel across the country, but San Francisco just doesn't have enough. With They've been hit the hardest in the NFL in terms of injury, not only to their starting quarterback Garoppolo and Kittle, but on that defense as well with Nick Bosa going down, Solomon Thomas. So they have just had a rash of injuries. And even though I think they're a well-coached team, a well-put-together team, San Francisco, with all these injuries, just does not have enough. I'm going to take yeah, as, as we're sitting here, I'm like, oh, Devo Samuels also hurt. Tevin Coleman, they just traded Quan Alexander. Like, it's uh, Raheem Mostert. Uh, my, heart, yeah. my heart goes out to the 49ers. Yeah, it's so frustrating because I felt like they were in great position as a team that came so close in the Super Bowl, and sometimes that doesn't go well the year after. I thought the 49ers could be a consistent contender, and I think they are. They've had a good season this year. It's just been some of the injuries, so really unfortunate for them. Let's move on to Denver and Atlanta, 3-4 and four against 2-6. and six. Drew Locke and the Broncos coming off an exciting come-from-behind victory over the Los Angeles Chargers and the Atlanta Falcons, who are notorious for blowing those types of leads will come in at 2-6, and six, an interim head coach. They've already gotten rid of Dan Quinn. The spread in this game, I just lost it there for a second. The spread in this game is Atlanta minus four at home. Kelly, who you're taking? Um, As much as I, the Denver Broncos, you know, I liked your lock. He looked good last week, but I think the Broncos just have too many holes on defense. And, yeah, the Falcons do have a tendency to blow leads, but I, I do think Matt Ryan is going to get the best of their defense in this one. I'm going to go with the Falcons. 
I like Denver in this game. I like what they're doing, and I think Drew Locke is gaining confidence as the weeks go on. They are a better football team than Atlanta is right now, who just have a ton of questions to figure out. I like Denver to take care of Atlanta and get themselves back into potentially the AFC wildcard conversation. So give me Denver over Atlanta on the road. Now to a matchup that I am interested in, Bills and Seahawks in Orchard Park. The Bills 6-2, Seattle 6-1. The spread on this one is 3. And this is, I think, going to tell us a lot about the Bills, at least in my opinion, as Seattle is a big-time contender in the NFC. Seattle's defense has struggled mightily this year, but their offense with Russell Wilson, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett is cooking. Kelly, this is a close one. Who are you taking? I'm going to go with the Seahawks. I mean, Russell Wilson, I think, is a, as of right now, he's the MVP for the season. You got the combination of Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf is almost unstoppable. Their defense, is, they should be getting Jamal Adams soon. I don't think he might not be back for this game, but they just keep getting better and better. And, like, your Bills have been doing better, but at the same time, they haven't been scoring a lot. They've only scored 75 points in the past, I think, four games, and they almost had double that in the first four. So I think their offense has been slowing down a little. Their run game hasn't been as great. So I, I think it will be a close game. I expect Josh Allen to play well, but I, I'm going to have to go with the Seahawks in this one. Your cause for concern is legitimate, but there is no way that I will not take the Bills, and here is why. Number one, you're talking about a 1 o'clock game for an NFC West team traveling east. We saw this last weekend with the Los Angeles Rams falling to the Miami Dolphins, so that's always a challenge. But also... Seattle's defense, and I know they're getting Jamal Adams back, is horrendous. It is so bad, I can't even explain to you how bad Seattle's defense is. No, I will explain it to you. Cam (laughs) Newton threw for 400 yards against Seattle. That's how bad their defense is. I'm expecting a big offensive day from Josh Allen. They'll be able to get their running game going. Stephon Diggs and some of the other weapons that Josh has at his disposal. I think the Bills can pull it off. It's a difficult situation for Seattle having to come east, and I know that Seattle has a lot of weapons, but I think the Bills' defense can get them back on track in the secondary. Where the Bills are most vulnerable is in the run game. Seattle doesn't do that terribly well. I think they can force them to pass, and that's somewhere where they've had success but I think the Bills can slow them down enough. I'm going to take the Bills in an upset over Seattle. Now to Bears-Titans. Tennessee a six-and-a-half-point favorite as they welcome, I think it's going to be Nick Foles this week, and the Bears to Nissan Stadium in Tennessee. Kelly, the Bears feel like a bit of fool's gold. A lot of people not as high on them, even though they've got a pretty good record. Tennessee has also been a difficult team to figure out. You feel like they're a really big contender in the AFC, and then it turns out, oh, they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. So this is a difficult one to predict. Who are you taking? Yeah, I don't see the Titans losing three in a row, especially to the Bears. You know, like you said, I don't care if it's Nick Foles playing or whoever, you know, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite is playing quarterback. I still think think Titans are going to win this one. I mean, like I said, they're adding – they're adding a veteran in their secondary, which I think has been a struggle for them. And I think Brian Tannehill, he had a quiet weekend last weekend, but I think he should come back. He's been pretty consistent all year. And I love Derrick Henry, and I think the Titans win this one. I think I'm going to agree with you there because that 
running game for Tennessee is really the real deal. And I know that Chicago's defense is very good, but I just have no confidence in Chicago's offense being able to score. I think the defense can slow down Tennessee, but I don't think they can stop them. And when you're talking about Tennessee scoring even 24 points in that game, which I don't think is unrealistic, I don't think Chicago can get there as bad as Tennessee's defense has performed at times. So I'm going to take Tennessee over Chicago because I just don't have a ton of confidence in the Bears and what they're doing on offense right now. When you're talking about going, who should we start this week? Should it be Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky? I don't have much for you, and things aren't going to go very well on offense. So that's the way I feel about that game. Ravens-Colts, this one being played in Indianapolis. Baltimore coming off a tough loss to Pittsburgh and Indianapolis trying to hold serve at home. Kelly, who are you taking a bounce back for Lamar? The Colts getting a six and two. I'm going to go with the Colts going to six and two. And here's why. So the Colts, they have the number two ranked defense, which I think goes on. It doesn't really get talked about a lot. And especially, you know, Rivers, not the best quarterback, but he's not bad. You know, he's thrown for 633 yards this year, six touchdowns, just one interception in the past two games. Or, or I'm sorry, that those stats were the past two games. But, um, you know, those, I, I, I don't, I think that the Colts pulled this out. I mean, the Ravens, they, they didn't play great against Pittsburgh. And I think the Colts defense, like we talked about earlier, I think they'll be able to get pressure on Lamar Jackson, who hasn't been great against great defenses. So I think the, I think the Colts pull this one out. I agree with you that Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense struggled last week, and I don't expect it to continue. I think they'll be able to take care of Indianapolis, and I know that that defense is really good, but I am confident that the Ravens will be able to run the football against Indy and also be able to do some more things on offense and figure some stuff out. I expect them to get Marquise Brown more involved with his recent outburst on social media and I think that they'll get things a little bit headed better in the, in the right, more headed in the right direction and figure things out on offense. And then on defense for Baltimore, I'm just not confident in what Indianapolis is going to throw at them because I think the Ravens have a really good offense, uh, really good defense, and Indianapolis doesn't have the weapons. T.Y. Hilton's been a major disappointment. The running back position in flux for Indianapolis, and I know they can run the football. They have a very good offensive line but I'm counting on the Ravens to really do a good job in containing that running game and ultimately come away with a win. Give me the Ravens over the Colts. Panthers and the Chiefs, Kansas City, an 11-point favorite. This one I don't think should cause either of us too much trouble. Kansas City at home at 7-1. and one. Carolina, I've been pre- impressed with what I've seen out of them. Matt Rule has got this team headed in the right direction, but I don't think it's going to come this weekend. Yeah, I'm not convinced. I think that 11 point line, I think that should be a little bigger. I, I don't think, I don't see this being close one. There's not even a point discussing it. I think the Chiefs take this one in the blowout. I agree with you. I don't think that the Panthers will be able to keep this one close. We mentioned that Patrick Mahomes is such a difference maker. He's thrown for more touchdown passes in, in, threw for more touchdown passes in last week's game than the Jets have in their entire season. So I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes and that explosive Kansas City offense to take care of business at home uh, against the Carolina Panthers. So on as we continue our pick segment to Detroit and Minnesota in an NFC North matchup, the 
Minnesota Vikings. It's been a brutal start, but we're able to surprise some people as they took down Green Bay. Can Detroit and Matt Patricia find their way back to 500 at 4 and 4? Kelly, who are you taking? I'm actually going to say the Vikings continue on from last weekend, and I, I think it's more so to do with the Lions missing some key players than it, than it has to do with Minnesota being good. But the Lions are going to be without Trey Flowers. They're out. They're, they don't have Kenny Galladay, and as of right now, Matthew Stafford, I believe, is still on the COVID-19 list. So we're not even sure if he, if he's going to be there. We're not even sure who the quarterback's going to be for this game. So uh, I'm I'm going to have to go with the Vikings. Yeah, I think if it's David Blau, it's a pretty easy pick, but I'm going to agree with you, too. I think Dalvin Cook being out was a big deal for the Vikings and contributed to some of their struggles this season. I know their defense isn't very good, but I'm not so sure that Detroit's offense is going to be able to take advantage. I like what I've seen from the Vikings recently, so I'm going to take Minnesota at home to take down the Lions. On to the Giants in a local game against the Washington football team. A rematch of a really close game uh, a few weeks ago. This one came down to a two-point conversion attempt that was missed by Washington. Other than that, the the Giants were that close to being 0-8. This one being played at FedEx Field. Giants 1-7, Washington 2-5. Can the Giants get their second win of the season, Kelly? I'm going to give it to the Giants, and, and if they don't win, then everything we talked about earlier is that much more important. If if Daniel Jones can't find a way to pick apart this Washington defense, then uh, then maybe he shouldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, yeah, the Washington football team's in second place right now in their division at 2-5, and five, as, as hard as that is to believe. But I think the Giants will find a way. They, like I said, they've been proving I like what I see out of the offensive line, out of their run game. So I think the Giants continue on and win this one. I'm going to agree with you there, too. I like what I've seen from the Giants. As bad as they've been, I don't feel like they're a 1-7 football team. And Washington, with those two wins, I don't feel like is as good. or They're not better than the Giants to me. I think that... The Giants are going to be able to come in there and win that. Washington's not going to be able to beat them twice is how I feel about that game. So give me the Giants to take down the Washington football team on the road this weekend. Texans and Jaguars in what is, oh, that's a game? That's that's a brutal game. A pair of one in six teams that are going to meet up. This one being played at TIA Bank Field in Jacksonville. Not that it really matters, but Kelly, who are you taking in this game? The fact that I hope no one actually puts money on this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I think I'm gonna go with the Texans because I believe the Jaguars are gonna be starting uh, Jake Lutton, I believe is his name, you know, for the first time. And I, I mean, if you're a rookie quarterback, great to play a team as bad as the Texans for your first game. But at the same time, I do think Deshaun Watson's a little bit better, and they have a little bit of a better team um, in general. So I'm gonna give this to the Texans. The Texans are really bad. The Jaguars are really bad. But the Texans have Deshaun Watson. That should tell you everything you need to know. I'm going to take the Texans in that one. On to the 4 o'clock slate, Raiders and Chargers. This is an interesting matchup to me because quietly Las Vegas is better than a lot of people want to give them credit for. That was a big win that they had against Cleveland last week. They are also in the win column against Kansas City so far in this year. The Chargers have had some ups and downs. They've been able to get a number of leads but haven't been able to hang on. Justin Herbert has been really impressive in his rookie campaign thus far. The spread in this game is... Where did I miss this? Oh my goodness, I lost this spread. It's even. 
There is no spread. That's why I can't find it. It's even. It's a pick'em. So it's a true pick'em. This game being played at SoFi Stadium. Kelly, who are you taking? Like you said, this is a tough one. When I first looked at it, my first thought was uh, Chargers only because I've been hearing so much about Justin Herbert. But the Raiders are going to give them a game, and they've been slowly creeping along and and just collecting wins on a lot of teams. That's been a big struggle for this year. So I'm still going to go with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And he's been their team's been pretty inconsistent. You know, one game they look like they could be contenders for the division, and the next game they're getting blown out. Not blown out. I think most of their games have been actually close. Um, and I don't see them losing another close one in a row. So I think they, I think it'll be again be a close game, but I think the Chargers get the edge on this one. Chargers have really struggled in stopping the run, and that's what Las Vegas wants to do. I think the Raiders are a better team right now, and they're a team that figures to be a factor in the AFC playoff picture. I'm going to take the Raiders to beat the Chargers. I like what I've seen out of Los Angeles' offense, and Justin Herbert, I think, has a bright future but just not this week against the Raiders. This one seems to be pretty easy, and it's unfortunate that it's in the 4 o'clock window, but here we are. Steelers 7-0, Cowboys 2-6, and and aren't very good. The line is 14. Kelly, I assume you are taking Pittsburgh. (laughs) I have to. I mean, the Cowboys are starting with their fourth different quarterback this year. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it was so funny, you know, you're going from this kid, Ben DiNucci, you know, never even heard of him. Now they're going to their veteran backups who have played, I think, a combined total of maybe 47. I think it's 47 total offensive snaps between the two of them. So one of them is going to get the start. And there's no way they're going to beat the undefeated Steelers team. So I think this one is obvious in going Pittsburgh. To me, the more interesting question is, does Pittsburgh cover? And I think they will. I don't care if it's Cooper Rush or Ben DiNucci or Garrett Gilbert. It could have even been Andy Dalton, by the way. But uh, there was no way the Cowboys were ever winning this game, certainly not with the three guys that I mentioned off the top, who I probably couldn't recite to you again because I don't remember their names. I'm going to give the Steelers the big edge in this one. They're going to cover as well. So give give them the 14. They'll, They'll be fine. Uh, give me Pittsburgh over the Dallas Cowboys this weekend. That one should be lopsided. As for the final game in the 4 o'clock window this Sunday, the Arizona Cardinals, this is an interesting matchup, will take on the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tagovailoa will make his second start of his career, first road start as they head west to State Farm Stadium. Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake will not play, so it'll be the Fordham guy Chase Edmonds getting most of the carries. At running back, Arizona, quietly one of the better teams in a really good NFC West. The Dolphins are also creeping into playoff contention at 4-3. and three. The Dolphins get to 5-3. and three. Arizona, can they get their sixth win, Kelly? So this is, I think this is going to be one of the most interesting games. Uh, Tua didn't impress me in his first game, and he, he didn't have to do much against the Rams. He handed the ball off mostly, but... He's, he's kind of small, not very athletic, and wasn't very overpowering. Had some bad throws, especially when he first went in. So I wasn't too impressed with him, and I, I've been impressed with the Cardinals all year. Um, you know, not having their starting, uh, some of their starters is going to hurt them, but I don't I don't know if Tua's going to be able to get through their defense, and I think I'm going to go with Arizona on this one. This is a tough one to pick because... This game can go a number of different ways as I see it, but I don't think that Miami's defense is going to be able to continue the pace that they have been on 
Arizona has a number of weapons. I think this offense will actually improve with Chase Edmonds at running back. Kyler Murray is more dynamic than Jared Goff. They have DeAndre Hopkins as well. This is no knock against Los Angeles' offense, but I think Arizona has an even better one. Miami won't be able to force the turnovers that they were able to last week, and I don't think Tua in start number two will be able to do enough on offense to get them a win in that one. I'm going to take Arizona to take care of the Miami Dolphins this Sunday. Now for the premier matchup of the weekend. It is an NFC South battle. will determine a lot with how this division looks. It could be a big win for New Orleans to get them back into a tie for the NFC South with six wins. And also thinking about having that tiebreaker of beating Tampa Bay twice. They beat them in the opening week of the season at home. This one being played in Tampa Bay. The Bucks not a great effort last weekend against the Giants. The Saints didn't look fantastic against Chicago, but you're talking about two of the better teams, two of the most legendary quarterbacks in the game, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Alvin Kamara doing things for New Orleans, Antonio Brown making his debut for Tampa Bay, and that offense that has dealt with some injuries. In the biggest matchup of the weekend, Kelly, who are you taking, Tampa Bay or New Orleans? So I, I I don't I don't see Tom Brady losing to Drew Brees twice and and yes we don't know about Chris Coppin if we're gonna have him back with that uh, finger injury the broken finger but Antonio Brown if he's if he's in there I I Tom Brady throws to who he trusts and he he the first game that uh, Brown played with him in New England threw to him eight times four catches and a twenty yard touchdown that was their first game together. Antonio Brown's going to be living with him. I think they're going to have a great chemistry. Obviously, they have a stacked offense. And and they also have, I think, the better defense in this. Because, like you said, these are two of the most prolific offenses in football right now. And I think at the end of the day, when you have two offenses like that, it goes to the defense. And I give the Bucks the advantage in that, in that category. So I'm going to go with the Bucks for this. I try my best not to read into how a team played in the last week, but I think I am going to, and it's a major advantage for New Orleans to be on regular rest in Tampa Bay, having to play on a bit of a short week. I know it's only one game, but I am reading into that. I'm going to take New Orleans. They're going to beat Tampa Bay twice in the regular season. That may not be the last time that these two teams meet, but I like the continuity. I'm going to take the Saints in a really close game over Tampa Bay on the road. The final matchup of the week of week nine is one that we have been highly anticipating you guessed it it's the two and five new england patriots taking on the zero and eight new york jets as they storm into east rutherford new jersey to try and see who can well i don't know what anyone's going to accomplish out of this this game but New England looking for win number three. The Jets, can they get on the board and into the win column? Kelly, who are you taking? The fact that I even had to seriously consider who would win this game is so sad. It's not even funny. But I'm still going to go with the Patriots. I, the, as bad as they have been, as as sloppy as Cam Newton has looked, as questionable as Bill Belichick's um, coaching and managing has been, it's the Jets. It's Adam Gase, and and I don't I don't see them beating the Patriots. I don't think Bill Belichick was going to let that happen. Um, I even the, when the Patriots were playing the Bills, they did have um, moments of brightness. You know, their their offense did have some chemistry. They did have a run game 
um, with Harris coming through. They snapped their touchdownless streak of six quarters. So I, I think the Patriots come. Thank, thankfully, I think the Patriots are going to come away with this one. The Patriots have Bill Belichick, and I can never pick Adam Gase to win a game until I see it. I'm going to pick them to go 0-16 until they prove me otherwise. The Patriots just happen to be the next opponent on the schedule. Give me New England to beat the Jets. The Jets are so bad, and I know that Cam Newton is playing awfully right now, but it doesn't matter. The Jets are just not going to get a win. There's no way I can pick him. So give me the Patriots. It's a barn burner on Monday night. Everyone tune in. I'm so excited. That's it for NFL Friday. You can catch us every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Kelly Bright, Nick DeLuca. Enjoy NFL Sunday.